Did you watch uh, Backlash? Nah, man, I didn't see it. I, you know what? It's I, I had a bit of a shocker this morning. Um, so I went to school and because I've been going to the gym like three three afternoons a week and then like just trying to get a bit fitter again. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I often will like wear my shorts to school and then I got to school and I realised I forgot my trousers. <laughs> Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day scholars and welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. I'm your host, Dom Philp, on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you every single Friday on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And the best way that you can support is to rate, review, subscribe. You know what to do. Why don't you put it up on your Twitter account? We've got 11,000 followers over there. Maybe you've heard of us. Maybe you want to put it up on your Instagram story if you like what we're doing over here. Fewer than 11,000 followers over there on Instagram, but geez, there are some cracking memes. Hey, maybe you want to do all that old shit. Maybe you want to ring your nan. Maybe you want to write a letter to your mum. Maybe you want to get your friends and family and act it out as a play for your local community. Whatever you want to do to support, that'd be great. Or you know what? Just like Ned Flanders, nothing at all. Because everyone's welcome here on the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. This is episode 14. We're going to get straight into the call-up sheet. But just before we did, on a little bit of a somber note, I just wanted to give a little bit of a shout-out and a little bit, I don't really know how to put it, a rest in peace to New Jack. Um, New Jack was a favourite wrestler of all of ours over here at Wrestling Should Be Fun. We um, are big ECW fans. A lot of us grew up watching ECW or, in my case, uh, maybe came back and watched it a little bit later when I was at university. And one of our favourite parts of ECW was New Jack. Um, I have absolutely no comment about the man outside of the ring. I never met him, but his wrestling was always fun. Go well, New Jack. Let's get into the call-up sheet. Podcast starts. Uh, what the nerds are watching. This is episode fourteen. Dom Philp here, joined by Matt Brummett, Ross Casey, and Matt Connolly, dressed up, top button done up. I wish you could see the lad. Jeez, absolutely incredible scenes. Um, hey, I'm just stalling because I can't remember what we do. Let's pass it over to Ross first for the call up sheet. Hey everyone, are you ready for six more call up sheets? Whoop. Our roster's getting stacked. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to start off with R.J. Felton from Hotlanta, Georgia. I, I, I think I think R.J. Felton is going to be ML, MLW's uh, MJF ripoff under <laughs> M, under RJF. Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah, he's going to like just have slightly slightly different catch, catchphrases and similar music. 
I feel like that if he's from that if he's from Hotlanta, he needs a uh, a um, hot wives from from the show. Hot wives <laughs> of Atlanta, for sure. As in, they're filming him for the show, or yeah, he's yeah. got hot wives with him, just like Cody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think I think his finisher has to be called the felt tip. That's all I can think of. Oh, strong. Strong. Yeah. Next up, we've got All Happy One from Korea. That sounds like the next Matt Hardy gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes out to a bit of K-pop. Yeah. Has to be. Next up, we've got Skipper Bob from Orlando. And that, that, that... That's just Bob Holly, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to see you, Bob. Hope you're doing well. I'm gonna keep keep with the cricket theme. I think he's a he's a cricket captain, and he he wins matches by positioning the referee in different positions around the ring, <laughs> or always making field placements. And next up, we've got Bucky McBadbat from Boston. I mean, I'm putting the title on him. <laughs> I think his, 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 his backstory, pardon the pun, has to be that he wrestled a match against Roderick Strong in his debut year and Roderick Strong just destroyed him with 12 backbreakers and now he's never been quite the same since. I, I I hope it's I just I hope that's just his birth name and it's nothing to do with his gimmick. Just really wears black pants, really solid technical wrestler gimmick. It sounds like the name Matt Jackson would use because AOL all the names were taken. So he was like, <laughs> "Oh, Bucky McBad back then. That's me." Okay, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I don't know many people called Bucky, but I remember Bucky Lasik, the pro skater. So you know, it, it is a real name. He's a dude. I had a bigger like, issue with McBadback. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the Buckies out there. Sorry, Buck. Captain Bucky O'Hare, obviously, as well. The top Bucky. Bucky, that, Connolly, what you said about Matt Jackson, it's getting more clever the longer I think about it. That's so clever. Like, that's far too good. You're, we don't deserve you, mate. I like how most of our podcast is three minutes later is realising the depth of Matt's jokes and having to go back. Yeah. To They're layered. They're said that way. That's what the people in North Bergen come back for. That's why you've got so many listens. Because on the first <laughs> listen, they missed the first one. You're, like, you're doing that bit with Ben Stiller from Extras when he's like yeah. talking about dodgeball. He's like, yeah. what I'm going to do, put dodgeball on for a seventh, eighth time? Yeah, they're still laughing because it's layered. But, you know. Okay, we've got two left. We're going to Canada this time for Mark Jabroni from St. John's in Newfoundland. He's got poor self-esteem, that lad, hasn't he? Bless him. <laughs> yeah. Shuts himself down like that. Yeah. I feel like... I, th- I think we should rename him Mark Great Guy. Yeah, from, from Old Lost Land. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the island from the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. <laughs> and last but not least, we've got Steve Killjoy Nelson from Parts Unknown. That's a strong <laughs> wrestling name. Yeah, in the 80s. Solid. In the 80s, he was making money and making towns. 
<laughs> but he's like he's randomly like bad banned from Kentucky for like setting fire to a merch stand or something. No, because they they love they love their joy in Kentucky. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I also feel like with the name Killjoy, he'd be perfect as the new member of the uh, Anti Fan Police. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> His tag team partner can be Buzz Killington. <laughs> well done. That's good. Layers. Right, oh, that's, a, that's a family guy joke, I'm sure. That was your call-up seat for the week, and thanks everyone for asking for a shout-out. Right, I'm, I'm the host here, lads. So let's get straight into uh, a bit of a wrap of the week. Last week we went long. Let's see if we can keep it under an hour and a half this week with what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. A la 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 long. Uh, as we like to do here is pull away the fourth wall and break the fourth curtain um we we're recording this on a monday as as we always do and there was a wwe pay-per-view last night um and it apparently had zombies but i don't know much about that who who's been who's seen backlash literally just matt (laughs) (laughs) so matt what I, what I need you to do is to explain the zombies, please. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Um, but what I can do is tell you what I saw. Um, so what I saw was a segment backstage where John Morrison... The Lumberjacks had their own dressing room. It wasn't like the Jobbers this time. There was a dressing room labelled Lumberjacks. And John Morrison knocked on the door to no answer. The camera then panned left and there were zombies. These weren't explained in what I saw. Uh, they might have been explained earlier in the show that there was an outbreak going on backstage. It wasn't explained in the clip I saw. John Morrison went and told The Miz that there were zombies and they they went to the ring surrounded by zombies. Um, this wasn't explained again. Um, Damien Priest seemed a lot more content with the zombies being there. He was kind of just, his entrance wasn't affected by the zombies. Um, he came out normal. They, Miz and Morrison's was. Did say zombies? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say something to the zombies. They were good lumberjacks. They <laughs> did their job well. They didn't invade the ring. Uh, they, they just literally, their only problem was they were trying to eat people when they exited the ring instead of throwing them back. That was the one downside. Uh, it was bananas. Like The, the best spot was uh, Priest and Miz rolled to the outside. The match went like six or seven minutes. It wasn't long. Uh, Priest and Miz rolled to the outside and then just started beating up all the zombies together as a team. Um, John Morrison had run away because he was scared of the zombies, but then returned to do some parkour onto the zombies. That's um, before the zombies ate John Morrison. So he's now dead <laughs> unless, he's, unless he's not been eaten. But they took him. He was on the barrier doing his parkour. They grabbed his feet, dragged him down, and he slowly fell out of camera shot with zombies trying to eat him. Is this a book of bingo or did this happen? No, this happened last night, backlash. <laughs> and then um, and then the priest won, um, because of course he did. And then all the zombies came in the ring and it missed. <laughs> On the plus side, he's dead too. So uh, unless I mean there was no blood because that would have set the business back 30 years, but <laughs> they did eat the Miz and Morrison without this- having seen them eaten. Is it a no, Bray Wyatt thing or something? No. Or a cross-promotional thing? No, or... they're, they're pushing a Batista film, so they... <laughs> what? Batista's involved? Was he there? Well, he, he's not in... Well, he's in a film with zombies in, and WWE have gone, 
well, why not? This match is bollocks anyway. We'll just throw some zombies instead of the lumberjacks. So <laughs> is, is this not an official cross promotion of WWE? Let's, let's <laughs> they wouldn't like these zombies are here courtesy of blank. They were just there. And I think it was like, was it like a load of like, I swear one was like Gregory Helms. Is he back now? He looked, one of the zombies looked like him. Apparently Helms was one, Scotty Too Hotty was one. Scotty Too Hotty was another, I saw that. This is not true. I'm going to watch Backlash now. (laughs) Yeah, I I want to watch it too to find out. Do you think that, like, and obviously this is the problem with recording on a Monday, but everyone's going to know, but do you think that Miz and Morrison will come out on Raw as zombies? Well, zombie law dictates they should. (laughs) (laughs) are going to abide by zombie laws another question miz was eaten in the middle of the ring i can't like they ate him he's done how did they do was it kind of a spot there was like 15 of them and they just covered miz so you couldn't see it but they were all just like walking dead stars all over him and the camera was showing it and the commentator was like they got the miz they got the miz next up is bailey versus Um, so, yeah, I don't know. By the way, I'm not sure if he's actually here, but it seems like the Sultan has joined us. Just I think, mid- I think it's Zombie Chef. Yeah. <laughs> Did he? He. I wonder if he just heard me uh, pulling the piss out of him. His uh, his spidey sense was tingling. <laughs> it was proper tingling. You know what? I literally just got home from work and I just, just a whole feeling of anger just came over me. <laughs> I, just, I knew that someone was doing me wrong and I was like who is most likely who would be talking about me at this time who would be running down the salt and it's got to be you boys <laughs> welcome welcome zombie chef but also you know what it is um with this episode I knew that you guys would be talking about Cody's promo and about zombies and I just needed a front row seat to listen to this conversation. I can't wait till Friday for the pod to drop. I need to hear it. And <laughs> I'm not disappointed because I've come in and I've dropped straight into this zombie shit. We, and, and I guess we probably should transition to Cody's promo at some point. Was there anything else from Backlash that is worth like, chatting about, Matt, considering no one else has seen it? I've, I've seen that match. I had time to watch two matches and thought there's zombies. So that's one. Um, and then uh, I went for the main event, uh, Reigns and Cesaro, and I know like it was a great match, uh, really good WWE main event, um, like just excellent wrestling. And yet again, Cesaro, obviously great wrestler, but man, Roman is so good. Like I, I know that's a cold take at the moment because he's in like a career defining run, but like everything about him is just so good. Like, the way he wrestles in ring is so snidey, but it still feels like the same Roman. Like, just trying to get that guillotine on. The whole last five minutes is basically Roman trying to get a guillotine on and Cesaro trying to do uppercuts, but his arm is smashed up and he can't. And that's what eventually the finish is. Cesaro going for uppercuts. He runs himself into the ground and Roman just goes guillotine, bang. And, ah, it's amazing. Like, it's a really good match. I don't think it's, like, the best match of Roman's run. Um, It went, like, it slightly sagged in the middle because it was a lot of Roman just smashing Cesaro's arm off things. But um, still a really good match. And like, and then at the end, they teased, Seth came out and they teased that they were going to go Seth Roman. But Seth just went and smashed up Cesaro. So that's still going. Which you isn't bad. I, but Do you know what I'm really happy about is that um, I, I was fully expecting them to, t- to go down the route of um, Jimmy Uso choosing to side with Roman after the um, last two weeks where he's been kind of at loggerheads with him. And I was expecting a bit of a like classic WWE main event swerve finish. So I'm loving the fact that it was just clean. Yeah, it was clean. Like that, obviously like 
as clean as you can be because he's still, you know, cheating bits and bobs like yeah, yeah. Know, road breaks and stuff. But yeah, Roman essentially beats Cesaro in a wrestling match. Um, I think also uh, they are going to do Jimmy as a match, aren't they? I think. Right? Yeah. And and they've moved Hell in a Cell is now next month instead of Money in the Bank. Yeah, so I'm assuming that they're going to do Jimmy and so the... they're going to do Jimmy and Roman in the K, in the cell, right? Like they did with Jay last year. So it's going to be like the ritual is I beat you in the cell, <laughs> yeah. which I love. Which I like, love. just like talking about this storyline in general, like SmackDown's a good show in general, but that storyline, it's just been unbelievable, wasn't it? Since Ever since the Jey Uso um, feud with Roman. Like, I can't think of a WWE storyline that's been this consistently good for this long and still involved so many like moving parts like brian came in and out cesaro's come in and out now and it's still like that uso family oh yeah. it's great and and jimmy's top which is uh is it it says i'm nobody's bitch at the moment yeah. <laughs> um, whilst nice jay has rock whilst jay has right hand man yeah while jay, and they're like when they're backstage and they've now got different haircuts so i know which one's which yeah like talking about roman being on a unbelievable run um the promo that he did on friday when he snapped at jimmy basically saying like you can't do what i do i'm the tribal chief you can lace my boots blah blah it was unbelievable if they after all this hell in a cell 2022 where we get roman versus naomi <laughs> <laughs> i hope so <laughs> uh what's what's rikishi saying i could watch that bump into the truck again <laughs> In, I, I was actually going to ask: Have the have the boys fought yet? Have the have Jimmy and Jay wrestled each other yet? Because that'll yeah. be good. I think they're um, they're moving the pieces together for them. Maybe not right now, but they're going to be in the tag division, right? Uh, Mysterio's won the tag belts last night. Yeah. Babyface team, heel Usos against them. Oh, oh little Dommy, has it won the belt? That's yeah, they good. won the tags. Yeah, oh, only my friends call me that, mate. You can call me Mister Philpo, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Did the main event last night go 44 minutes? It didn't feel like that. If Shit I... match. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm giving this my lowest rating ever. 5.25 <laughs> stars. Just, just one little um, neg that, that I had on, on the Roman stuff on SmackDown was that when he said to uh, Jimmy, nobody cares about this... this this exhibition matches, it's only about the big money fights, which basically tells people don't bother watching SmackDown. <laughs> <laughs> Although next week, SmackDown has got the four-way, the Intercontinental four-way, which will be great. Very good, yeah. That'll be a great match. Um, so I know Shafi said the reason he was coming in, and this is the reason that I'm here as well. Matt Connolly has promised to deliver the Cody Rhodes promo in its entirety. Are you still up for that? I, I've got it. I can try. Yep. Come on then. So in case in case you didn't catch Dynamite this week, dear listener, um, Cody Rhodes cut a promo that it seems that I'm the only person in the world that enjoyed. Um, so just to recap it, instead of us talking about it, Connolly's going to deliver it. Yeah, you can make your own mind up with my sarcastic delivery all over it. Um, okay, we'll go. <clears throat> Go oh. full method, please, Matt. I, I will. I'll, I'll try and pretend I'm Cody Rhodes. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to do an accent because I'm not that good. Um, right, let's go. And, though it's rather uh, out of style, patriotism, 
It's old hat being proud of being uh, American. And okay, we all live in the real world. There's plenty of fun things to poke fun at, whether it's our antiquated two-party system, or our most recent election, or the sheer confusion on what to do during your own national anthem. But I'm from a little red, white, and blue town, just like this one. Santana, Skinnerd, Snoop Dogg, they all share the same jukebox. I've never not been proud to be an American. Anthony Agogo has run down and verbally buried the United States, and he's done it with such vitriol in his tone. He's talked about the anger, the argument, the division. And the irony is that Anthony has a visa, courtesy of the USDOT. Anthony collects that great green, courtesy of the US Treasury. He's afforded all the same rights we are to do and say what he likes. And that's freedom. That's America. You talk about division. You talk about anger. You talk about the argument from the outside in. We hear that all the time. Take it from an American. The argument is what makes us who we are. Sure, there's anger. There's anger in every pocket. But our empathy outweighs our anger. Let me ask you, Anthony. You didn't come here to live the England dream. <laughs> and I don't mean to disparage across the pond. They sure know how to make a wrestler. I've wrestled some of the best, whether it's Doug Williams, little Gabriel Kidd, or even one of the best in the world right now, Pac. 1986, I'm a country music fan. Willie Nelson came out on the song, Living in the Promised Land. He said, give us your tired and weak and we will make them strong. Bring us your far off song and we, we will sing along. Well, here's where I stop singing. I stop singing when you balled up that Olympic medalist fist and you put it between these ribs here. You like to educate. You like to pontificate on what the US is. Well, allow me to do you a favor. The industry that you joined, it was an Italian immigrant who was world champion for 4,040 days. There's so much to behold here. There's so much to love here. The dream lives here. What about a 16 year old man who comes from Pakistan, patterns and invents the single piece bumper and enriches and cultivates the lives of everybody literally in the city where I am standing? This is real. Prior to 1961 in Atlanta, Georgia, there was a segregation. Blacks and whites could not attend the same schools. And in 2021, the very same city, my wife will give birth to a beautiful, a beautiful white, a beautiful black American princess who will have both identities and shun neither. And I want her to know. I want her to know I didn't lay down under another man's flag. I didn't just have this defeatist attitude when somebody ran down the United States. I got off my ass and I fought back. And here's where we're gonna do the fighting at double or nothing. So excited, I dropped my headphone. <laughs> Tony Khan. Tony Khan has already told the world, we're going back to full capacity. Wrestling fans, wrestling fans returning to their seats and returning close up and thank God. And on that night, it will be Anthony Agogo versus myself, except he will not be wrestling the American Nightmare. <laughs> because for one night, for one night, I'm going to pick up a sword that is all too heavy. But it's either me or my brother who have the right to pick it up. So for one night, Justin Roberts, this relates to you. Nothing on presentation sake will be different. It comes from deep inside. As I said, that double or nothing, it will be Anthony Agogo versus the American Dream, Cody Rhodes.
and that that's as good as it gets. What a promo! What a promo! I got goosebumps again. <laughs> <laughs> but what was the point? With the two, <laughs> with a tear in my eye, that was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> Now, I had to tell a little white lie so that I could leave work early today to be here for that, and I regret nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I hope hope they were just like, uh, come on, Shaf, you've still got work to do. Look, what you don't understand is there's a 16-year-old Pakistani kid, and uh, and I've got to go. (laughs) Is that going to go that bad? Like, has he been... I know we talked a little bit, but like... He's not been saying that much bad. He like he threw his flag out and he might have cut a promo where he was like, oh, America's a bit shit. But like, I don't even remember that promo. Like, why has Cody gone off? Well, in preparation for this, I checked out Twitter to see if there's been some beef there. And all it is, is him marrying his lesbian sister. Like, yeah. to someone else. Like, her wife. Like, so oh. it's like, fucking, like... He's obviously, yeah, he's like, and, and, and putting a comment on it just about, you know, being progressive and everything like that. So maybe... We're getting this wrong, and maybe he's the good guy, and like Cody's just Trump. I, you know, like I think there's a chance that could be completely serious because I wonder if he's going for the, you know, Brett north of the border face heel in America sort of angle for Cody and for a go go because th- surely no one outside of America's heard that and gone, yeah, fuck yeah. It's like there's some ideas in there that obviously we're not going to say are wrong. They're the right things that points he's saying. It's more that it has nothing in relation to this match he's having with Anthony Agogo. I don't know why his mixed race child is part of the feud. Yeah, I like him using the American Dream moniker is like a pretty cool little thing, I guess, especially if it's just a one night only thing. But this 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 forced promo to, to get it to happen, it's just not. The right way to go about it at all is it was he also saying in britain that white people can't sleep with black people i mean it is quite funny you say that because you know he talks about they had segregation just 50 years ago whereas in england or the england dream like we've never had segregation we've got mixed uh mixed marriage going back to the 1700s you know like it's just it just i don't know i quite like that promo now that i've heard Connolly read it um it's, <laughs> thank you it's, it's touched me differently, but uh, I'll be honest. I I really hate patriotism, like in general, but American patriotism. I think just like as Brits, like we're very conservative, and it just leaves us really cold and really uncomfortable. Um. So yeah, I really hate this promo. Like really, really despised it. Uh, I think I spoke to you, Brum, about it about how it actually shone a light though, on in terms of nationalism and how scary it is just in terms of whipping up a frenzy how quickly that crowd turned into a 1980s wrestling crowd wild like yeah but and chef's completely right i I, like felt i felt so cold and like we've we've been talking about cody for a while about how he's just not the guy was and um there's been some interesting things said around you know him without crowds or whatever but this has turned from like, oh yeah, he's kind of gone off the deep end of it to be like, what, what the fuck is wrong with him? Because like, yeah, just it's just hor- horrid. It's like proper nationalistically, yeah, just not not a fan of that at all. Um, 
Dom, you said you didn't mind it so much, right? I'm not trying to drop you. Yeah. In, but like, in terms of like what you took from it, then, like, did you think it was less? Are we over? Are we milking it a bit? I don't know. Well, I, I like I do have to hold my head up and be honest. I didn't listen as closely to it when he delivered it on the TV show as what I listened to you doing it then. Um, a lot of the things he said were absolutely ridiculous. Um, but the bit I liked was just the bit at the end about the American dream. And that's like, it was almost like the go home line was what stood out to me and what I remembered. And I like, I, I kind of enjoyed that little bit. Um, but I, to be honest, I obviously wasn't paying too close of attention when he was running down um, the, you know, the country that I've chosen to make home. Like the other, the other part as well, I just like, my issue is not with the anti-British stuff. Like, I mean, fucking most people in Britain are cunts. But like, the it's the pro-American. It's just the it's the nationalism. It's just it's oh, it just it just reeks so horribly. And it was just and like and obviously we've we've all got different issues with it. I think Matt's was more with just the complete incoherence of it, which is completely true as well. It is it is though. It like the Trump comparisons are so interesting here because like that's what he'd do. He'd just like ramble, talk about something that's not really there, try and throw a personal story in there about like someone who had like was an immigrant and, and did well or whatever, but then kind of go on a different tack and then just start attacking a random set of people and then kind of just wrap it up with some miscellaneous patriotic stuff and then people would cheer. And it's like it was just it was like that. It was honestly like he was he was yeah, he'd been possessed by by Trump. I agree with Dom that like the, the idea of him being the American dream is cool. Um, polka dots do we think <laughs> possibly yeah but he, oh, he like said that. he said he said that nothing's going to be different from a presentation standpoint oh yeah he did say that yeah so he i mean said it. <laughs> like let's just talk about that for a second so what i come across what i read is that the reason he's calling himself the american dream on this one pay-per-view is because he's been trying to secure the the trademark for the last two years and it's basically been rejected on the sense that he cannot prove that it's been used in in a wrestling sense. So he is using it for this one pay-per-view to strengthen his case at court to secure the rights to this name. Um, which probably explains why it was so forced. Like, how do I get the American dream into all of this? Um, or why it was such nonsense. Um but it's just, it's really interesting because let's be honest, if anyone is the embodiment of the American dream, it's not Cody Rhodes, is it? You know, the guy who's only where he is because of his surname, because of, you know, and his father, essentially. You know, he's he's got nothing to do with the American dream. And, and so much of the American dream ideology is based around immigration and immigrants and everyone's welcome. Give us, what, what's the Statue of Liberty say? Give us your huddled masses, give us your needy and all that stuff, right? Yeah, whereas his success is, I'm not saying that he wouldn't be successful anyway, but nepotism has played a huge part in where he is in his career. Hmm. It's yeah, why he's right. got name value. You know, if he was called, I don't know, Cody Johns, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't be an EVP of a TV station. It's also the reason why the things that have worked for Cody have worked. Like, in my opinion, when I think of the two things that I enjoyed from Cody, like match-wise, it was the match with Gold Dust, which obviously only works because of the family name. And when he won the NWA title was a great moment. And that's, again, because of the, the family name. So, yeah. But, but I, I think peak face Cody, he was, he was really, really, he was fantastic at, at still being, like, like, suited and booted, you know, bleach blonde haired, like, 
wankery Cody, but kind of also just being having that um, like that self awareness to play on it and to kind of do it all for the right reasons. And he kind of like got on board with him a bit. And I, I thought that his his face was really interesting. Like, well, I know he's still a face technically, but when he was actually a good face at the start of AW, I think he was able to 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 bottle it. And and I, I was really interested. I, I, can't, I can't really remember anything like it. Um, um, and now he's gone the opposite, where he just seems the least self-aware person in the company. It's, he's like, like, he's just lost it. He just seems to have come, and that might just be the character. Not, not, I'm not, not, not casting aspersions to Cody Runnels or whatever his real name is. But um, the, yeah, just the character seems completely berserk, I, and it also just feels so separate to the rest of AEW. It's like it's almost like it's a, a, a little bit like a ring fence thing that happens in the middle of AEW, which doesn't feel like the rest of the show. Everything with Cody, it's it's all very bizarre. I don't know if it's like Tony's just said, "Yeah, get on with it, do your thing," and 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 the rest of it will do our our thing. It's all very weird. It's funny because I was speaking to uh, Rob Armstrong about this last week because I've probably been like I love AEW. That's no secret, and I've probably been the biggest defender of Cody and AEW all along. Because the whole time I've just, it's been my idea that this has just been meta, you know, like he has been really aware of how ridiculous it is to come out with, you know, 10 grand's worth of fireworks and have an entourage of 15 people and a dog and a wife and Arn Anderson and DDP and this, when you're facing some random jobber and still be in the face, like th- there is no self-awareness there, is there? Or, um, But I've thought that that's been part of the character, but now it appears that like he actually believes all of this, you know, it's jumped the shark completely. Um, it seemed during the the, the TN the, the TNT Open Challenge stuff that he was definitely going that route, shaft, and it was genuinely interesting, wasn't it? It's like, wh- where is this going? And then, yeah, but this the, maybe maybe it is just so he can get this trademark. And also, is that the biggest face move in wrestling going a certain way so you can win a minor court case? I think it is. My my two extra extra takes on this are one that. Yeah, the content was shite and laughable and quite rightly podcasts such as this are going to be poking fun of it this week. But secondly, for a, for a babyface promo, the way that he d- delivered it was still really, really good. Like, he's still capable of whipping up babyface um, reactions from a crowd. So that's a positive for, for Cody. And secondly... Doesn't he have um, the the word dream tattooed on his heart? I believe yes. it's probably on his chest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think both. But um, it, it, it just gave me the idea of the, uh, the uh, heart punch from Anthony as a finish. That's, oh, a, that's a great idea. That is that's- awesome. Even like, can you email someone, please, Ross? Because we need that needs yeah, to be the finish. Like a go goes winning. <laughs> Cody is fighting for an entire nation now <laughs> in his own but, company. Oh, I would love a go go to win, and I'm more invested in this match than ever now. But he's not, is he? He's getting. I like. You're probably right, Matt. But like, I don't know. I hope not. I uh, know. Cody will definitely win. Hundred percent, hundred percent, Cody. It's just another sideshow match for him, isn't it? The same as the Shaq match, which oh, actually, shit, was it's, much better than it had any right to be. It's a, it's a double or nothing, isn't it? 
Yeah, he's going to win. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, it's, it's a double nothing. Uh, I've heard people mention now about like, you know, um, there was a big baby face reaction to it in the stadium. I thought part of the joke that I saw on social media that only one person clapped. No, that was that was like an old school gif, mate. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like everyone was just sitting on their hands and there was one guy with a BLM T-shirt on that was standing and clapping, right? No, that was that happen. That was a DX t-shirt, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure he was. No, there was a gu- there was a white guy in the crowd who stood up and clapped in a BLM t-shirt. That did happen, yeah. Maybe, but, but when he finished the promo, they cut and like, who's the fellow who used to always be at NXT in his Everton top? He was going wild for it. Oh yeah, he was there, front row guy. Oh, what a dick he is! That's another, <laughs> he's, he's another podcast. He's, he's wearing an Everton shirt, going crazy for American patriotism. <laughs> And he's got, he, he wears it. Donovan. Joe Max Moore played for Everton as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Precky. <Yeah. laughs> did, did that goalkeeper not play for Everton oh, as well? Was. Tim <laughs> Howard, was it? Yeah, we'll go straight to Joe Max Moore and Precky. Did we, we do Brian McBride. Did we do Brian McBride? Sorry. He didn't play for, did Brian McBride play for Everton? He did, yeah. yeah. Right, did he play for Everton? Yeah, yeah. Wait, it's another one. They've had a few. Ed- Everton are the Everton are the American dream. <laughs> also, by the way, his full name is Brian McBrian McBrian McBride, I think. <laughs> Except for when he gets signed for WWE, then he's called McBrian Brian Mac. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you what else I actually did watch this week and did thoroughly enjoy was my first ever episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Nice. I'd, I'd never seen it before. It's a good little show, that. Which one did you watch? Nick Gage, obviously. Um, so I, I think that like maybe on the podcast, I've sort of talked a bit about Nick Gage and stuff. And I, I do I do quite enjoy his work and I enjoy his storytelling. And I think I've been seen as the, um, the deathmatch fan of the group sometimes. But I feel like when I was watching this, maybe I was like living a bit of a fraud because some people fucking love Nick Gage. <laughs> He's he's not even um I just want to say and I really enjoy the dark side of the ring and I really enjoy his story and I do like his work. But he's not even the best deathmatch wrestler called Nick. Sick Nick Mondo is better than Nick Gage. That's my hot take. And there's I'm not gonna hear any other opinion. Nick Densmore as well. <laughs> I um I understand Nick Gage even less for having watched the dark side of the ring. <laughs> I, I I find him to be like before I was like oh, he's a deathmatch guy like whatever like now I kind of dislike him I, I don't understand his ethos it, or his ideas for wrestling but that's on me I just don't is that him. is that sort of the problem with Dark Side of the Ring though like is it isn't maybe, that maybe. does that happen with I've only seen one episode but I imagine that kind of happens every episode you're like oh shit these yeah, heroes I felt the same after watching the Chris Benoit one actually it really turned me off him. <laughs> but like, that's, I, I that's, in, that's in poor. That's in poor taste. I don't know if it's because it's like removed or a different era. But like with the new Jack one, there was kind of a yeah, everyone knows he's nuts. Like just let him talk. Whereas with this one, there was kind of a no, he's got a point, Nick Gage. And I was like, he's literally saying that if David Arquette agrees to a match with him and gets hurt, that's on him. Fuck that guy. And I was like, I don't agree with that <laughs> as a principle. That's, that's that's the issue I think though with. Dark side of the ring doing stuff with like alive wrestlers because that's that's Nick Gage in character, isn't it? Yeah, and and that's yeah, which 
I'm fine with when documentaries go that way. There's the Ryan Johnson, MJF one and stuff. That's really cool. But I think it's, um, yeah, I, I want Dark Side to be Dark Side, which it's, which I think historically it's been, it's been really, um, yeah, it's been, been really good at kind of trying to take things from a slightly different angle. Like not, not full like Billy Kay, did you go to journalism for that? But it's pretty, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's got relative, journalistic integrity throughout and i've enjoyed basically i've enjoyed all of the, the dark sides actually i've i've got an, an an entirely different take to matt on the gauge one i i spoke to you guys about nick gauge weeks ago when he came up with the moxley stuff and i just said that i, that I just don't get him that, that like he genuinely scares me and that like i don't know why anyone would like him and, and cheer for him and whilst i still wouldn't be a part of his MDK thing like I've got a lot more kind of um, feeling for him now and just in terms of like understanding where his kind of rage comes from like he like he, he's clearly had a pretty dreadful life the one yeah. person that he seemed to like to like love in his life is his mum sadly passed away and he and he's clearly massively still cut up about it uh, his brother fell out of him and sadly Threw himself off a bridge. He actively, like, he actively says in that on that documentary that like he's like he's fully expecting to like die young, and he's living a way that you get the impression that he probably will. And that's just like, like, I kind of get it. Like, I like I kind of get why people get behind him. Like, there are people yeah. out there that have lived a similar life and feel in a similar way. The bit that the bit that got, and I think I really think the story, like. The deathmatch wrestling is just a way to tell the story. It's a story about addiction, right? Like, like that's his big battle is addiction. Like, I mean, you don't you don't just mess around and half get into heroin. You know, he robbed a bank because he needed his heroin hit. You know, like, so for me, it's almost like a story. And then he goes to prison and he kind of overcomes it. Like, I know he went back to prison a second time. You know, recidivism and all that recidivism. But like he, like he sort of overcomes it. I don't know if he's clean now or what, but for me, that was the main storyline. It's like, fuck, this was a heroin addict who robbed a bank, went to prison, and then he still is able to capture the attention of this gang of people, MDK yeah. all day, which, and that, that's the bit that I liked. And, and the bit that really stood out to me was like when um, the GCW promoter, Lauderdale, goes, you know, addiction isn't just something that you fix. It's there every day. And some people are up for the battle every day and some people aren't. And before he went to prison, he wasn't up for the battle every day. And now he is, which I don't know. That was a standout moment for me. And that's that's what I thought was the baby face part, being able to overcome that. But yeah. What what worries me about him a little bit is that like once he has his match with Mox, that feels a bit like the pinnacle of Nick Gage. And I worry about him after that match because it, I feel a bit like nobody like nobody's gonna take him on, are they? Like beyond GCW. Or maybe FMW. I'd, I'd like to see him join like Pretty Picture with like Peter Avalon and Cesar Bononi and those guys. <laughs> Sexy uh, Nick Gage. I think I've, I just got worked. I think I just really like the Arquette documentary. So now I really like David Arquette. <laughs> and like seeing Arquette describe the story of being like, "Yeah, we sorted out the match the day before." I said, "Not the face." And then the first thing Nick Gage does is slice his face. I was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm getting worked by him," but still, it annoys me. I don't think it was. I don't think that part's a work. I think Arquette really was traumatised by that. 
Oh, he definitely was. But that's why I'm, I think Nick Gage is working. That's what I mean in the, in the documentary. Like, he's like, you're a fuck bad guy. But you can see when he hurts Arquette, Nick Gage is shit in his pants. He's like, I've just fucking nearly killed David Arquette. But, but like, he can't just say that because he's Nick Gage. He has to be, well, fuck that guy. And I just, I can't get into that. It's not for me. Yeah. Like, but I, but that's, that's not a judgment call. That's just, like I say, I'm getting worked. It was a it, it was a heavy documentary, just like the film was. But the one kind of light kind of part of it where Mox was basically saying about how he got sent an, an email of a video of a bank robbery, and he was like, he wears a mask to every show. <laughs> he robbed yeah. a mask. He didn't wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was comedy. <laughs> I, and you know something else that just stood out as well is this Moxley loves deathmatch wrestling, doesn't he? Yeah. Did you see this yet again this week, uh, this weekend? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate. I like, I'll definitely, like, you know, I'll buy that one or whatever, get it on fight, whatever I have to do. I'll definitely be fine in that one. I saw um, that uh, that his wife quote, um, quote tweeted the video and was like, somebody fetched my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Dom, your FMW knowledge is probably slightly better than mine. Um, no, it's not. But yeah, well, no, it's really not. Well, because I might be misremembering this. Mox, Mox came out against uh, Nagata to Wild Thing, which yeah. I'm pretty, like 80 to 90% sure. And I probably should have just Googled it before. I'm going to might do it now so you can edit this out if it's wrong. It's but Anita. Sure Anita came out to Wild Thing. Yeah. I'll just That's, check. I'll, I'll, can can yeah. does someone else know that? Can they verify it? Yeah. Well, I've, just, I've heard a lot of people saying that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's that that is a direct reference. Then I, I I wasn't just marking out on my own saying this is this is this is exciting. And obviously, Onida is restarting FMW. Yeah, that, that's my point. Yeah, FMWE isn't it? I think or something like that. So yeah. um, the to get around copyright stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, fuck Anita Mox. Yeah, of a brain. I'll allow that. <laughs> Just be what absolutely off the track. He th- he's got to be a dark side of the ring soon, Anita, hasn't he? Or there, um, I was also. They're actually doing one on FMW in this series. Well, mm. oh, actually, sorry, Ross. I think I think now my brain clicked because I have listened. I have read the uh, the list, and there was loads of good stuff on it. But yeah, you're right. I think they are. That, that's going to be that's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, just on Dark Side of the Ring, I, um, I also watched the, the both parts of the Pillman one. Um, Dom, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, nah, but, mate. But, um, I, but I felt that I knew a lot about Pillman. Um, and I feel like having watched this, I feel, oh man, like the way that he treated his first wife is unbelievably bad. Um, Dom, do you mind if I talk about it, if you haven't seen it? No, man, go for it. Uh, so basically, he he's, he's a serial cheater. He has children out of wedlock. Um, then, he, then he meets the wife that he finally ends up with um, in 97, where it's, uh, sadly he passes away. And she um, is, kind of a, is kind of like a working girl involved in drugs. And for, and for whatever reason makes it her mission in life to basically make the first wife's life a, a misery. And uh, it culminates with um, the first wife calling um, round to their house. The daughter um, 
runs out to hug her and they basically drag her off and get the police involved and basically say that it was like hit her trying to steal the child and then it looked like there was going to be and then uh, like I like lawsuit and obviously Pillman's got wrestling money and the first wife hasn't got money and then sadly the first wife blows her brains out Jeez. like and I just can't get past that in terms of like apparently Pillman went to the funeral and was like in bits and was like really sorry but <sighs> That's just unforgivable stuff in my um, in my mind, and I just feel like all the good things that I think about Pillman, they're kind of Benoit now a little bit. But it I was not. I obviously it's brutal. Was the I, maybe I rewatched it wrong? But was the first wife had the restraining order placed on her anyway, right? Because of her drug use, or did I catch that the wrong way around? There? No, the the first wife was, as far as I'm as I'm aware was kind of like straight edge and just kind of right. yeah better than you <laughs> yeah yeah like the, but yeah i found that two the the two part of pillman just hard to watch it was just it was a grim grim watch i wouldn't I've recommend it dom if you want a light evening <laughs> i've read crazy like a fox which is the book about pillman and though like stuff on that is like touched on and pillman's not always painted in a good light it definitely felt even when you're reading it that they're not really going into that much and it's probably more gives gives you know kind of cuts to that like to then something like someone talking about how oh, oh yeah pillman was a really great guy and it's just like yeah and you could re even even reading that you're like what well, there's something a lot darker going on here yeah um but uh, but, but but the light at the end, end of the tunnel in the two episodes was um uh, obviously brian pillman jr he, uh, he comes off like an absolutely lovely bloke, doesn't he? Generally, I've not I've not uh, watched that yet, but yeah, yeah, um, that was really really nice, um, and it just reminded me that um, the last super strong style that we went to, he um, we were walking back to the bus stop to go to Spoons, and Brian Pillman Jr. was there with like with a full suitcase, so I'm assuming that he came just with his gear, hoping that someone would drop out of the show. Um, and I and I remember going up to him and being like, "Hey Brian, like, really loved your, your like dad's work and stuff." And he was just like so nice. He was like the nicest guy, and I was like, couldn't believe how nice he was. Like, he was just willing to just chat and like, yeah. So I'm really happy to like have met him personally and see him on and a dark side of the ring. And be, like now, I'm really really on board with Brian Junior. That's cool. I I don't I don't think I ever heard you tell that story, Ross. Oh really? I don't. I, I probably have, but I, like, yeah, that's lovely, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, just what I like. I actually, I, I did have one thing that I wanted to mention about the Dark Souls Ring, and I forgot to do it at the start. I, I obviously wanted to do my Nick Mondo shtick, and I just obviously, I'm sure that everyone knows about this if you're listening to this very niche podcast. But um, Nick Mondo actually made his own documentary. Well, he's made two, really. The first one was called Unscarred, and it's not that great. But the one that he produced most recently, it came out last year, is called The Trade. And I, I couldn't recommend it enough. If you like the Nick, the Nick Gage dark side of the ring for the deathmatch stuff, like if you're looking at that and you're thinking to yourself, hey, I'd like to learn more about deathmatch wrestling and in turn the best one to ever do it, Nick Mondo, well, um, it's called The Trade and it's on Amazon Prime um, and it's really easy to find and it's, 
it's wonderful. And it's it's pretty much about how why why a deathmatch wrestler would do it. Like what's what's going on in their brain? What makes a deathmatch wrestler put themselves through that for no money? Um, it's great. So yeah, if you listen to this, that's just my that's my ad for the week. Okay, got to pay the bills. So the trade. We are not affiliated with Nick Mondo, but yeah. <laughs> if you listen to Nick, I am available for, to talk. <laughs> nice. I'll um I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um. So, uh, how, what else we got going on? Uh, Brahmit, you've been spoiling for a bit of progress chat. <laughs> I also I just quite like the on-running joke that I like. We run out of time, and I, in like yeah. in about six months, I finally talk about progress. It's the Steve Froggett's wife of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. The um, the yeah. Annoyingly, I don't really have that many hot takes on it. Like, it's been delayed a week. Uh, I just progress is growing on me week by week. I'm interested in it. There's still all the same shit, like about Roy Johnson, the context and the production. All of it remains true. Um, and it's not not the depth of Ross, Ross that it was. But yeah, just like the Ridgeway Banks thing got me interested. I hope we go somewhere. Um, the Young Guns Sunshine Machine match was was bags of fun. Uh, I don't know if you guys have, have seen it now. Um, there's this like Ethan Allen had a hot tag moment in the middle. Which was just fire, and just the whole match was just 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 a, a bag of fun. Um, is, 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 actually, is, is, have you guys seen Progress yet? Or? I'm halfway through it. All right, I know the results. Then I just I, I just watched my Bristol Boys. Yeah, I watched that match. Yeah, that that, that was also pretty fun. I hope they come back. They're really good. Um, I like the chubby young books. They're they're a lot of fun. The um the. But the, the, the Bucky, Bucky McBad back. <laughs> there he is. Um, the one thing though, like um, obviously, Conman's a massive Cara Noir fanboy, and and I, you know, I think Cara is great as well. My only criticism is that for his progress catalogue, at least, um, I think a lot of his matches have kind of go down similar routes, where he takes a bit of a beating, you know get some of his spots in along the way and then manages to cinch the, the rear naked in. And, and don't get me wrong, that's enjoyable, especially live, but I think there is a slight bit of repetition to it. However, his match with Malik was not like that at all and was such a breath of fresh air and great. I, I would recommend everyone go check out Malik versus Karen Noir. And funnily enough, I was watching watching the show and I was like about to message the group saying, like, what's happened to Malik? I've not seen much of him. And then he just has a random match with Karen Noir. I was like, oh, great. Because we were chatting to him at the show and he came off as a really lovely lad and I, I was hoping he was going to get bookings. And that match just made him look a, a, a million dollars. Who did he have a great match with? He had a really good match that Yeah, night, he right? did. Who was it again? Was it Devlin or? Mm. I can't remember. I, I thought it was. I thought it was that the. Didn't we really like him at the um whatever they call like natural progression? Yes, but then he did have a match against. He wrestled on a chapter then. Proper. Oh, right. Because I remember. I remember we got him to do the mix a minute. Yeah, um, he did. Yeah. And, and he was really really cool. And I asked him. I remember. I still remember it. It was like because I, I thought he'd be like a bit boring, but he was actually like really charismatic and funny. And I remember being like, oh, you know, if you weren't a wrestler, what would you be? And he said, a stripper. <laughs> I've got fucking Dragonov. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, Dragunov. that sounds right. Was it Dragonov? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a lot of fun. But yeah. 
So, so that's it. Sorry, it's quick on progress, but I just want to just, the, just, just tell people to go see that match. It's really it's short and sweet and lovely. How was the second of the third of, of the three uh, Kanji matches? Any good? Yeah, I, I, I'm not as into that feud as everyone else. Um, but uh, not against it. Good. I, I think. Um, I think Giselle Shaw's fucking exceptional. Um, you know the Brit rest Charlotte. She's really good at what she does. Um, and then, but and Kanji's a bit green, but like in but so in in actually a good way, where that kind of slightly I don't want to use the word sloppiness; it's a bit harsh, but that that slightly unrefined thing kind of has that baby face edge of just trying to do everything and and she'd you kind be great of in, uh, plucky. She'd be great if she was ever in the in the uh, blood and guts match. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But she was, um, but the difference is they're like 10 incredibly seasoned workers. Well, I don't know how many miles she's got under the clock, but she's, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not shitting on it. I just, I enjoyed uh, probably a, a lot of the rest of the card more than that match, but it was, um, I definitely see the appeal um, if, if people are into it. And, and I think I'm, I'm definitely keen to see the, the, the third one. Um, I, haven't, I haven't seen the second one, but I thought the first one was really good. Yeah, yeah. Was- and I, yeah, and, and again, I've, I've no, it's no criticism about it. It's just didn't, didn't grab me as much as some of the other stuff. But I think um, it's got me buying into the third one, which is what what the whole point is, isn't it? So. What was the match that you put in the group for the next chapter? Ridgeway oh, Jacobs. Yeah. Ridgeway. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's gonna be fucking good, isn't it? Yeah, that's gonna be really good. Exciting. Um, yeah, I, I think I think what you hopefully will see in that match is a bit of a, a teaser for something that we may see proper next year. The only problem with those lads is they, they don't really work snug. So uh, <laughs> could, uh, we'll see what they can bring to the table. The I wanted to just update people. Uh, third week of a Ring of Honor show every week. This week I watched Honor Invades Boston, uh, main evented by Low Key defending the Ring of Honor world title against AJ Styles. That was pretty good. Um, other matches that stood out, Amazing Red versus Quiet Storm. Amazing Red was fucking incredible. I forgot how good he was. Um, and probably the best match on the show was an 18-year-old Jay Briscoe wrestling a 16-year-old Mark Briscoe. And it's 16 he was. And, like, the story was, and I remembered this part, but the story was that um, he was too young to wrestle in Philadelphia. So this was Ring of Honor's first show outside of Philadelphia. And um, he was legally allowed to wrestle in Boston. So it was his first match. And they were sort of building the story that Mark actually doesn't like Jay um, on all the previous shows. And then they wrestled and Mark beats him in his first match. And he's 16. And it's ridiculous. Like just head drop city. Um, so, yeah, really, really cool. I just like, and I'm going to give one hot take about Ring of Reed. My favorite thing about it is no one's kicked out of a finish yet in any of the matches I've watched, except maybe multi-man. I think maybe in a multi-man match, someone kicked out of a finisher. But in singles matches, no finishing kickouts. And what they do is they, the thing is that to make it more interesting is you don't know when the finish is coming. So there's lots of like finisher reversals, but as soon as someone hits one, no kickouts. That's cool. And, and, I, and I'm just banging the Ring of Honor again. That's why I haven't seen progress because I just keep watching Ring of Honor. Can I ask... One question as someone who's going to get laughed at now, and you're going to go, you don't know them. Um, Quiet Storm is a wrestler. What? That doesn't yeah. sound like so. Quiet. Name. Who the hell? Yeah. Is that? 
Quiet Storm. Well, I'll tell you a couple of interesting yeah, things about yeah, Quiet the, Storm. The finisher. Yeah. So um, the Storm Cradle Driver. And if you're thinking to yourself, how how can you describe that for me, Dom? Put on NXT, Shane Strickland's finisher. Not Shane Strickland. What's his name? Swerve. 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 Isaiah Swerve Scott. Um, he His finisher, uh, Quiet Storm, invented that in 2001. It's called the Storm Cradle Driver. It's a cool finish, right? Like you're picturing it now, it's a great finish. So I imagine that in 2001 when the, the most dangerous finisher in the world was the pedigree and, you know, Quiet Storm invents that. Um, doesn't sound like a wrestler, mate. Sorry. Well, he, he, was in a, he was in a tag team with a guy called Chris Devine and their tag team name was called the Divine Storm. That's, that's why he was booked on Ring of Honor. But, yeah, I think the fact that he was working in a singles match against Red tells me that he was probably the more accomplished of the tag team. But, but quiet, it's not a very intimidating name, is it? Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, it definitely, you know, he should be in a faction with Earthquake and Typhoon. <laughs> it, it reminds me of my least favourite wrestler of all time, which is, um, I just thought he had the most punchable fucking face. And I hated everything about him, even though he's probably a nice guy. On one season of Tough, Tough Enough, I think it was called Andy, but his wrestling name was Silent Rage. Oh. <laughs> I hated that man more than anything. And he got released, and it was, I, I'd say after, probably in WWE for the past decade, I think Punk, Cena, Money in the Bank is two, and number one, Silent Rage Andy getting released. Is my <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, Walkabout Leeds was buzzing that night. <laughs> e45 stars. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lads, we should uh, we should get to why we're here. Should we do a main event? Round table time? Sounds lovely. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's roundtable features AW Dream Themes and Conman's Conman. This is the Wrestling Should Be Fun Roundtable. Excellent stuff. Hey, thanks for that intro, Dom. Let's do the round table. Um, uh, Ross, you're up first. Cool. Um, yeah, so I was on a little think about something that we could discuss that, that would be a bit of fun. Um, and I've noticed that AEW started to use some licensed music, which is British wrestling fans we know is the key to having a great time at live shows. Um, and I was just thinking from their roster, um, songs that that wrestlers could use uh i'll kick you off with my startup pretends um i've got peter avalon coming out to roxy music wonderful <laughs> that is a great <laughs> fit <laughs> wonderful i've got lieber bates coming out to it's oh so quiet oh, that's got... good can i can i just check it can i just check in with everyone um how are we pronouncing the name of the artist that sings it's oh so quiet Bjork. Bjork. Yeah, it, I, so we we were always conditioned through Triple J to pronounce it Bjork. 
Ah. But British people say Bjork, which I've I noticed. Think, I what? think you've been worked, mate. Yeah, mate. <laughs> being Bjorked. That, that, right. that, that <laughs> joke worked in my head and then didn't land. <laughs> Bjork, 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 Bjork. <laughs> and then I've got two more. Um, I absolutely loved when WSW used um, their version of Seek and Destroy. Really good. Um, and I just think that they should bring that back because the the kind of the 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 kind of orchestral sting stuff doesn't really work for me. And then um, as as a old school rock guy I'd, and someone who can see how the Gun Club are seen as a bit naff, and I'm sure that some people will think Kiss are also naff, but I love them. I'd love to, them to come out to Love Gun. Those are my four. Happy to. Hey, uh, hey, yours. Um, I've got a few. So, uh, talk about stealing. So, I had, I had another option for this. Um, Chris Statlander, I think, uh, Beastie Boys Intergalactic, which was used by Nova yeah. in CW. Oh. But I'm also, to go to give it another one, if you want an original one, I very, very strongly doubt no one's ever used this. And also, I quite like different style wrestling themes. So, after three seconds, just going straight into the vocal. Mulder and Scully by Catatonia. <laughs> yes. um, then I've got, in terms of, like, this isn't a pun one, but this is just, I think, a theme that would absolutely ban. I've always said I think Paper Planes by MIA is just, would be the best wrestling song ever. And I think the best, uh, like, fit, I think, because I can just imagine it on the, on the turnbuckles doing the taunt to the chorus, would be Big Swole. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. That would be good. Um, so, and finally, I'm going for a bit of a different take, especially as we've been talking about him a lot today. I think, can you imagine a heel Cody coming out to My Way by Frank Sinatra? Because, <laughs> like, for the 90% of people rightly acknowledge it's a fucking horrendous song, right? So just hearing it makes you angry and just think, and also just the context of it is just, it's basically... People that have my way at the funeral are the worst people. And I've probably just offended a lot of people. And sorry if any of you have that. But like they are, right? It's like I've been a terrible human being for the re- for my life. And I'll try and retroactively justify it by saying I did it my way. Or they're people who didn't, who had very boring lives, and but pretended they didn't and then had my way. You just basically can't win that. And I'm sorry if anyone on the podcast's parents use that. But, you know, I'm just spitting truths. And um, the but then for the ten percent of people that like my way, they would also be annoyed at it because Cody's misappropriating it. So <clears> not by the way, did I say Sinatra? I'm not talking about um, WrestleMania uh, seventeen. Um, <laughs> Rock Austin, my way. I live biscuit. I'm talking shitty, overrated Frank Sinatra. My way. I like it. Matt, I've, I've nothing as good as them. Nothing as good as them. Um, but I have two that I've come up with. Um, so the two I've come up with, uh, one is for Brummett's favourite wrestler, Lance Archer. Um, <laughs> so, I, chamber. so you know uh, how he's got this bit of manic monster thing about him? Um, I just like the idea of him coming out to, uh, is it Paranoid by Black Sabbath? Is that the one Black Sabbath song yeah. everyone knows? I think that would work. Him just coming out frenetically for that. And um, for Britt Baker, I'd like her to come out to Edwin Collins' Girl Like You. <laughs> that is a great <laughs> show. Which I think would work great. 
as yeah. a wrestling song. Yeah. Maybe only in England, but yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> That's all I've got. I, of course, I didn't prepare anything, so I've just had to make mine up while the rest of you are talking. Um, I like book of bingo isn't the only thing I do on the fly on this show. So um, I thought, I don't know what, like, I don't know why this popped in, into my head, right? But do you know when, like, so obviously Joey Janela was with Penelope Ford and now she's married to somebody else. Well, I'd like Joey Janela to work an emo gimmick, but he would walk out to Teardrop by, like, the massive attack cover of Teardrop. Um, and just he's just like really sad, and he takes 45 minutes to walk to the ring to teardrop about love being a verb and love is a doing word, and he's just all heartbroken, just like just you know, just drinking straight scotch, and he's all disheveled. I could just see that, like he's just heartbroken. Um, I don't know why. Um, I tell you what, I'd like you know, talking Ross talking about like Tony Khan opening the checkbook, I'd really like Tony Khan to buy the rights of Jim Johnson for the Undertaker's theme music. And the and the young bucks to walk out to that. I think that would be really funny if the young bucks walked out to the Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness theme music. Um, as, as zombies. <laughs> yes. Zombie. They because, are definitely gonna make a zombie joke this week on Dynamite. Absolutely. Have, have to do it. Uh, Actually, sorry to jump back and talk about dynamite. One thing to say, and I, I you know, I said it last last couple of weeks. Schmoz endings to dynamite. What fucking happened again? Yeah. So now, Dom, you've got to cut that out and put it back about an hour early. I'm not not giving you <laughs> Also, the trope with the um with the champagne spray thing. There's a lot of of like, and they also did the I'm sorry, I love you. Like, there's just a lot That's of great. Though. That is beautiful. There's, a, there's there's an awful lot of mentioning them. I I also only cut out things that make me sound better. <laughs> Um, I, I two more. I don't know if they're any good. I think I'd like to have Darby Allen walk out to Avril Lavigne, Skater Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think that would be good. Um, and the last one I just thought of today would be <laughs> Cody Rhodes walking it. <laughs> See, I popped him again. Um, the last one I just thought of just today would be Cody Rhodes walking out to the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that's I. I really wish I thought about this longer because I wouldn't have made jokes. I would have done serious ones. But anyway, there you go. Cheers, guys. Enjoyed it. And and like I know we should say this more, but if you've got your own ideas, tweet us or um, put a, yeah, give us an Instagram DM because um, I'm sure people have great ideas. What would your entrance music be, dear listener? Let us know. Um, one more roundtable for this week. And I reckon we've got a catchy title for it. So let's throw it over to Big Lady Cool. <laughs> yeah, Br- Brum came up with a, a couple of good titles. So was it Con Man's Con Men? Was that yeah, one? I like that one. I like yeah, that. that's that's good. Yeah. So um, this is an idea stolen from another podcast. But basically the idea of um, wrestlers that are just should only work as either just a babyface or just a heel. Like I would say... 90% of wrestlers probably are good enough to at least effectively work as both. Maybe I'm overstretching there, but I think most of them are talented enough that they can switch between the two. But some are so excellent or just so good at one that I feel like they should never go the other way. Um, so I just wondered who people thought like should only ever be baby or should only ever be hill or had a disastrous run as the opposite. 
um, and what stands out. Um, so, Ross, have you got any got any for me? Um, I actually had a bit of a strange one in that I think James Drake is miscast. He would be a brilliant babyface. I know that we've spoken about the, the um, possibility of turning um, Zach, especially in Liverpool, but James Drake's moveset, that is not a hill moveset, is it? He's unbelievable in the ring. Like, yeah, he's like, like he's like he's got a bit of a snarl to him. But apart from that, he's just a likable guy. I can imagine him getting down the, um, getting down the mixer on a Sunday as part of our group. <laughs> he does seem a lovely bloke, doesn't he? When you make chat to him, yeah, it really does. Um, yeah, so I, um, that was the one that came to, to my mind in someone that because in terms of WWE and progress, I don't think we've ever seen him as a face. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of seeing him work as a face for the last show that he did at Chaos when uh, he did, had a, like a send off to go to NXT and yeah like he smashed it he's he was doing comedy in the ring he's more than capable of doing it and um, I think once the once GYB is over Zach is likely to possibly stay in NXT but and I feel like maybe possibly. Um, Drake may well, may well go down to NXT UK, and I'd, and I'd love to see him play a, play a babyface in that promotion. And in terms of the terrible version of uh, someone playing heel or, or, or a face, for me, it was Miss Perfect's face run in like '93. I just think that character is just not just just not a face, is it? Um, it kind of worked when he was a commentator. Um, in a similar way to um, some wrestlers like Wade Barrett, for example, on on NXT, he comes across kind of as a face because he's just he's just a commentator. It becomes a bit more neutral. But as a wrestler, they didn't change his music. They didn't change his outfit. They, they didn't change his moveset. He was still just a brash, cocky Mr. Perfect. He wasn't Kurt Hennig. He was, yeah, they didn't change him at all. How So, the, Ross, the only bit of that I remember was... Flair was it was did, did it go on longer his face run I am right isn't it it started off with right, like, yeah. and Flair and that stuff yeah, yeah. and then uh, they then he went into to WrestleMania nine against the narcissist Lex Luger oh. and, and had a, a narcissist off <laughs> <laughs> with two very humble men <laughs> wrestling and then um, then he had the uh, the the uh, trilogy versus Doink. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, those are mine. Thanks, Matt. I've got a few comments, but I think I might have taken it slightly different. I was looking at periods where wrestlers were one or the other and basically and should, should have been the other way around. Yeah, I think that's um, Yeah, it's quite open in the question. So I'm not... Uh, DDP's stalker run with Taker. That's a great show. Like, I just think that that's, for me, like I, I thought DDP, WCW, it was like just all-time great face wrestler. Something about his charisma, something about who he was just made you just want to get behind him completely. And WWE never came close to capturing that. And they, you know, and they really could have done. And I think that was a, a huge, a huge missed opportunity. Um Others, a bit more recent, actually, I've gone for... So everyone talks about, I think, well, people probably use Rusev 
in WWE as an example, like the whole Rusev Day stuff. But I think Miro in AEW try to bring him in as a heel. Um, I know it's a cold take and everyone said it, but and how the kind of heel he was, it's just madness. But I think that he like maybe with a new, you know, with his TNT title run, he, he could do it well. But it just I think there's so much about that guy that just makes people want to back him and love him. You know, he's so exciting at what what he does. Generally comes off as a, a nice bloke. And yeah, I think they've I think that's a bit of a fuck up. Um and my biggest one is in terms of getting behind guys and the most exciting face wrestlers you can get behind. And a guy who's never had the issue of being too much of a smaltzy face and actually over his run has done in two different companies has had incredible face runs. Samoa Joe. And I think WWE, he was face for about 10 minutes, wasn't he, like in his last run? I remember there was something about, he was like defending Kevin Owens or something about that when he was face, possibly. Anyway, there was, there was like, I, I think at the end of his very end of his run, when he came back from his like 14th injury, he had a bit of face time, but basically throughout his entire run, he was heel. And I just think that like, when he got in like Brock's face and everything like that, it's, I mean, I don't have to sell Samoa Joe, he's fucking God, isn't he? But like, I really think that WWE dropped the ball not using him as a, as a face. Yeah. And that's all fair to be honest. Uh, Dom? Uh, so I, I, I have to say, because I think like I, I'm the biggest um, exponent of talking about Randy Orton. I know Randy Orton was the original guy that this sort of segment was based around. Um, but the, the fact that he has ever been a babyface in his career just blows my absolute mind. He just, he's born to be a heel. And even though I know I've said that I'd like to meet him and have a beer with him, I'm sure I'd love him as a person. But, like, that guy's a heel. Don't, yeah, get out of here. Um, other people like that that I always thought was ridiculous that they ever had even half a baby face run. I, I know that, like, in hindsight, it's really obvious um, because Bradshaw went on to be JBL and he's obviously a born heel. But I remember, like, I just hated Cowboy Bradshaw and the APA. And I could never understand why they tried to make that team a babyface team with Farouk. Um, I just didn't get it. They should have just been heels forever. Um, Big Show never should have turned babyface once in his career. He did it 112 times, but he should have just been a heel his whole career. He's a giant. Just make him a heel. Do you, do you feel the same about Braun now? To sidetrack that, but like... Oh, yeah, I haven't really thought about it. But yeah, let that guy be a heel 100%. Yeah. Big time heel, got to be a heel. Big monster heel. Um, also, he stole his choo choo gimmick from James Drake, who we've already talked about. <laughs> full circle. Um, I mean, if if CM Punk wrestled in the eighties, he never would have turned babyface. He was just CM Punk's an incredible heel. And I mean, I I was itching for the babyface turn as much as anyone. I love CM Punk, but I mean, I think that he drew more money as a heel over his career. Um, and I just think he naturally was a more comfortable, better heel. Um, last two, uh, Ken Shamrock. I never got him as a baby face. I, that, Rage, to me, I that, didn't think of that at all. That's a really good shout, Dom. Yeah. yeah I, I just feel like he should have always been a heel. And just because just I didn't like him. I didn't get it. I... In the attitude here, I always just thought this guy's a bad guy. I don't understand because he's not—he's not sort of flashy enough to be a babyface to me during that era, and he's also just mean and nasty and like yells at people and slaps himself around the head. That's a bad guy. 
Um, and the last one, uh, I've spoken about CM Punk. Uh, so my actual favorite wrestler of all time, um, the Rob Van Dam. The two times in his career that he was most over as a babyface was when he was working as a heel. So uh, in ECW, the TV title run, he he was working as a heel. Um, you know, swarmy, like arrogant piece of shit douchebag, but people just for some reason took a shine to him. And then when he came to WWE in the invasion, he was working as a heel and he got over again as a babyface somehow. Um, I just feel like if he... I think Rob Van Dam, there was the opportunity for him to be like, you know, high school quarterback, amazing athlete. If he just changed himself like 5%, um, he probably could have been one of the most hated people in the history of wrestling. Um, but for some reason, he just kind of tweaked it a bit and and got super over as a baby face. But I always wonder what it would have been like if RVD was given the chance to actually be a heel more often. In I, his I, I think, interesting you mentioned that, Dom. I, I don't think we've ever had this conversation, but I, I've... Uh, and if we have just edit it, especially if it's on the pod, edit it out. But I've always thought, I've always thought TV title run Rob Van Dam reminded me a bit of like um, Jim Crockett, WCW flair in that he was like, he was like a dick, obviously an arrogant dick, but he was just so fucking good at what he did that the crowd just got behind him. And like, yeah. I think that happens with like flair matches. There's times where like, in certain towns, like heel flair will just be cheered like at that peak because he was just so fucking good at wrestling. And Van Damme, yeah. even though a very, very different style, was just adored by the ECW guys. But the so guys. I think the style, you think- the thing though, in it, the style is the thing, right? Like Rob Van Damme's style is very hard to boo. Yeah, but like, but all his finishes were heel finishes. Well, I mean, I know people because obviously he was creative and he invented the Van Daminator and he invented the Van Terminator. But both of those were always assisted by his fucking heel manager blowing the whistle. Yeah. Like Fonzie all relied on Bill Alfonso throwing him a chair. Or like even like oftentimes, like it would just be blatant heel work. Fonzie would slide into the ring, put the chair down for Van Dam to like hit a slam on it or whatever. And and then Van Dam would hot dog it up. So Fonzie would slide in the ring put a chair on the floor, on the mat, and then Van Dam would do a, a nice uh, lion salt off the ropes just for no reason, just to pick up the chair after doing a backflip before he did the Van Daminator. If that's not heelish, like, but anyway, people just, and me as well, obviously, I loved Rob Van Dam more than Pepsi Max. Like, um, but yeah, he, I don't, I, when I think about it, it was a heel style. And Brummett, you've hit it right on that. I've never thought about that Flair comparison. And the other thing is Rob Van Dam used to reference Flair a lot in his promos during that TV title reign. He would often mention Flair about, oh, you know, next month Flair's coming in. Next month I'm going to beat Flair. And anytime he'd cut a promo about, like, all the people he'd beaten, he'd be like, I beat Bam Bam Bigelow. I beat Sabu. I beat Jerry Lynn. I beat Ric Flair. Like, he used to say it all the time. Maybe that's subconsciously where I've got it from. Yeah, no, I'm, I just think that you. I just think that you figured out the intricate storytelling at ECW, where I've studied it for years and missed it. I've missed the clues. Now that you've um, started this conversation, Matt, I've actually just thought of um, like uh, like early nineties Big Boss Man, and that's all we've got time for. And wrestling should be fun for this week. <laughs> if you fucking if you if you if you give. Uncle Ray, any shit? I'm gonna come around your house. <laughs> how, how on earth a face wrestler can 
beat up a jobber, then handcuff him to the bottom rope, and then kind of make fun of him whilst waving a night, like whilst whilst waving a nightstick into his face. But in those shows, Bossman, Bossman is like one of the most over people in that period, isn't he? Oh yeah, crowds are bananas for him. I loved him. I, but you know, if you if you think about all those characters though, like who are baby faces and their gimmicks like that, they're all heel things. Like imagine taking a ten foot python and putting it on top of something. That's not baby face. That's awful. Yeah, and Brutus Beefcake doing like terrible haircuts to wrestlers after, after the match. <laughs> Leave him alone. Da- Darren Drozdov. Darren Drozdov. Don't bring that vomit near me, mate. <laughs> Um, I think we've pretty much covered them. I think it's, I'm glad that Ross started with one that is a heel that should be face because I feel like most of these are basically wrestlers that we think are good, but we want to boo them. Um, <laughs> that tends to be the thing. So like, even when I was thinking of some myself, I was like, these are all just like people that should always be heel. So like obvious ones, The Miz, I don't think has ever been good as a baby face. They've tried it a few times. It hasn't worked for me. Um, which which is incredible because by all accounts, absolute legend behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he, he gets it, doesn't he? he he's really yeah. good. Um, uh, Nikki Bella. I was really behind Miz, and this isn't in like a anti-Cena way, but Miz Cena, that whole like opening package they did for the Miz just really got me going in that match. I know, I know that's really oh. match in wrestling, but I was just I got so into Miz winning that match. Oh. I'll give you a better example. I've just remembered it about the Miz, the time that he was actually a babyface. Miz and Morrison versus DX. DX were the heels there. And I know everyone cheered it, but like who who in their right minds thinks that a 45-year-old Triple H and a 48-year-old Shawn Michaels are cooler than a 26 and 27-year-old Miz and Morrison after the run that they had? Yeah. Like, but yeah. I I, I know I talk about that a lot too. Was, was that was in the awful spray paint neon green DX yeah. days, wasn't it? Yeah. And like yeah. Shawn Michaels trying to be DX, but also oh, born again Christian. So like he wouldn't even say like the catchphrase and stuff. And like, and it was just, it was just not, yeah. There's we, the we, one good bit where whole... he super kicked Ty Dillinger. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know that James did a, a thing about punks running ROH? I think I could do a whole two hours on how much I fucking hate Reunion DX. Re- Reunion DX is, yeah, it's not, I and mean, I like DX. That's how it happened in wrestling history. Not including, obviously, actual tragedies, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, fucking horrendous. I'll zip through a load of like basically people that should always be heel. Nikki Bella should always be heel. Love Nikki Bella. Never want to cheer for her. Sheamus, the bar were great, and I like cheering for him then, but as a single star, never want to cheer for him. He's fucking brilliant as a heel. Uh, Lex Luger, I know he was over when he faced Flair, and that match is great. Never want to cheer for Lex Luger, ever. Respect uh, the boss. <laughs> never going to respect the boss. Um, Greg Valentine, WCW tried to make him a face in the mid-90s because he was just an old bloke. No, never. Always have him as a heel. Um, <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr., never make him a face, even in England. He's a horrible bastard, and that's why I like him. Um, and then the two that are the opposite, so like, they should always be babyface. I mean, literally, as his run as Rikishi, in hindsight, didn't like the heel run, right? Babyface Rikishi, loved it. Brilliant. The kids love the stink face, etc. 
Another thing of like that is not okay. Lovely, absolutely lovely. Love Rikishi, and um, and we were probably at shows where we booed him. Um, so I'm probably a hypocrite because I probably booed him. And if we were judging on his music taste, definitely boo him. But I don't think Mark Andrews is a heel worker in the ring. He can do it, and he's great. But I just, I just find him a really good baby face. He takes a beating well. He does the flips really well. I think Mark Andrews should always be a baby face. Has anyone, has anyone listened to Mark Andrews' podcast, the one on BBC Sounds? You see the list of guests that he's got for the series. Yeah, it's, it's fucking insane. That they're, they're all clipped. It's all clipped up, but it's yeah, it's. It's good. I listened to it this morning on the way to work. It's yeah, it's it's worth listening to. You had a great quiz in the summer. Well done, Mark. Oh, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, I'd, I've just really come around him even more after hearing him like talk outside of wrestling, like the quiz and this podcast. Like, yeah, crack oh, on, the, lad. The, the the podcast or video, whatever you want to call it, I don't know about technology, but the things he did where he was like rewatching wrestlers' first matches. Yeah, I thought was really great. I, I, I think there's loads that I've, I've still got to go back and watch that, but that was really good. Yeah. Um, whilst we're talking about uh, going back and doing things, should we get into some Booker Bingo? E-I-N-G-O and Bingo was his name Oh. This is Booker Bingo. Yeah, sounds good. Do you want me to try and do the exciting thing where I try and do it live? Yeah, if you can. Um, oh, actually, Dom, should we not risk it because it could cut out recording? Or yeah, no. Oh, I, I thought. Yeah, no. I thought. Yeah, I thought you just tell us, give us a commentary of what you're looking at. Oh no, no. Sorry, I was talking about doing the. Uh, actually sharing screen but yeah I won't because like it. because you know this is like an audio medium and our listeners can't <laughs> see the screen anyway right what why do i dress <laughs> up every week <laughs> fucking hell uh, interesting one uh kevin sullivan versus the ultimate warrior wow i i should go first even though i have no ideas yet because i don't think i've gone first for a long time if ever um okay um so we're having um the old the old book of bingo favorite it's legends night <laughs> <laughs> and uh and they're gonna have a legends battle royal why not that's what they're going for this time and they've got all the boys back everyone's in the ring every wrestler you liked in the 80s and the early 90s they're all having a, a little over-the-top battle royal. And uh, Kevin Sullivan's in there and the Ultimate Warrior's in there. And Warrior is throwing people out like it is going out of fashion. Um, also in the ring at this time is uh, Papa Shango. Papa Shango's in there. We all liked him back in the day as well. And, uh, and there's a point. Warrior is just eliminating people. And then uh, there's some voodoo shit going on. And everyone's like, oh, ooh, this, this ain't right. Warrior, Warrior reverts back to the, the old storyline and he starts uh, convolting and he's in the middle of the ring. He's in real trouble. And Shango's in a trance and everything. And Sullivan's just in the corner. He's just sat there. He's not, you know, he's just having a little tussle with Earthquake or something. Um, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, Warrior gets eliminated. He's out. Um, and W like, oh, we'll, we'll give you an update on Warrior's status later tonight. Uh, Battle Royal goes on, goes on. 
And the, at the end, Shango's, you know, he's, he's flying through this. Uh, he gets right down to the end. Uh, and Kevin Sullivan eliminates Shango. And it was like, wow, that's, that's weird. Like, Shango done his voodoo stuff. Like, he, he looked like he was going to win that. Anyway, Sullivan wins, whatever. Uh, we go backstage and we get uh, an update on the Warrior. The Warrior's puking up still. He's in a real bad way. And, and it, it turns out that it was Sullivan all along. Those satanic rituals of Sullivan. They've come back. He's used Shango as a cover. He is, he's doing this. And now he's going to wreak havoc over the whole of the WWE. Warrior was just a ruse. He wants to hit the current roster. So for the next few months, he's taken out all the top stars with his satanic powers. So he's taken out Damian Priest, obviously. They'll do something on Damian Priest's name. They'll love all that. We do that. He takes out Seth Rollins, the Messiah. He's taking out the Messiah, obviously. He's satanic. He's not going to have a Messiah knocking around, is he? Takes out Seth Rollins. Basically, Sullivan runs a mock through the roster. Everyone who hasn't got a belt, Sullivan is taking them out, taking them out, taking them out. And it's getting to the point where they're like, they are actually... In 2021, they're going to put Sullivan, they're going to put the belt on him. He's going all the way here. He's going to end Roman's run. But he's not going to end Roman's run because at SummerSlam, Sullivan comes out and they recreate the Honky Tonk Man match. Warrior comes out, squashes Sullivan in however long that match goes, 60 seconds. The fans love it. They're all cheering for Warrior. And that's all I've got. Great stuff. Anyone want to volunteer before I pick on someone? I'll go. Okay, so I'm going to say that um, this is happening in WCW and there's no such thing as the Ultimate Warrior and Kevin Sullivan's group of the Dungeon of Doom are running riot on Saturday night. (laughs) Uh, They're not featured on on Nitro at the moment. Um, But Kevin Sullivan comes out and he cuts these promos saying that he's creating the Ultimate not, not, not the ultimate. That that he's creating a a warrior that's going to be at the top of the totem pole when it comes to the Dungeon of Doom. And we go to the White Castle of Doom in a vignette, and they're all there. Kamala, the Shark, the Yeti, Zodiac, Kevin Sullivan, front and center, and they're all around a cauldron, and they're creating this entity, and it comes out. And it's not the Ultimate Warrior, it's the Dingo Warrior. <laughs> and they've created the Dingo Warrior. And he's on Saturday night and he's picking up a few wins here and there. He's pretty nondescript, but there's a body there and a charisma there. But he's just not quite hitting the heights. And then Kevin Sullivan's treating him really badly. He's not... He's not... Um, he's basically dressing him down each week saying that, you know, we created you to, to be our, our kind of hero of the piece and, and, and you're just not cutting it. And eventually he, he gets the rest of the lads to, to turn on him and he has to do the, uh, the, what WCW first called really, out, really out of turn, uh, the, the final resolution cage match from Uncensored 95, where it was almost like a three-tiered cage match where um, Macho and Hulk Hogan had to do the uh, fight the Dungeon of Doom, uh, bottom tier, m- middle tier, top tier. On the bottom tier is Kamala and the Shark, and they're getting ready to face the Dingo Warrior. 
and then the Ultimate Warriors music hits as it, as it would be in the WWF, but he's never wrestled as the as the Ultimate Warrior in the WWF. That music hits. The warrior comes out in his tassels and his face paint, and just the gravitas of it makes everyone go go absolutely wild. He r- r- rinses through Kamala and the shark in the bottom cage. He sprints over to the ladder to the second cage, where he runs through the yeti. He does a um, he, he does his power press on the zodiac, slams him down, and then Sullivan is in the final tier of the cage and he's looking down at him, and the not and and the lights go out, and then the lights come back on. Top tier cage, Sullivan's gone. Papa Shango has joined the Dungeon of Doom, and he's placed <laughs> his um, what's the word? His uh, spell. On the on the on the Omit Warrior, and you get the same convulsions and the same uh, green blood loss, and unfortunately, Warrior's pinned on, on his debut, and Sullivan arrives next to uh, Papa Shango, saying, "Here's the real totem pole of the Dungeon of Doom, and that's the start of the Papa Shango Ultimate Warrior feud that should have been finished in the in the WWF." Wonderful. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can live up to the main event slot, really. I, I, I sort of, I had uh, some ideas that would be a cross between the two boys that have gone first. Um, so I can't think of anything too original. So I'll just go with what I thought of initially anyway. Um, I, I haven't, these were my ideas. I haven't stolen them. So um do you remember when do you remember the 1990s and the ultimate warrior would often cut promos backstage and he'd often talk about like i can't remember the exact phrase i've been trying to rack my brain he used to talk about like a higher power or the you know the ultimate power or something some this is where he got his energy from the the unlimited untapped energy or something he used to talk about right cosmic cosmic power it might have been and uh the ultimate warrior um, he's cutting all these promos um, on WWF TV in the 1990s about the cosmic ultimate power, the higher power. And on the other channel, little do people know that the WCW ripoff of the Ultimate Warrior was called the Renegade. And he was going on a bit of a run, the Renegade, on, on the other channel. And one day, just out of the blue, after months and months of talking about the Ultimate Warrior running through people on WWF TV because of the uh, cosmic ultimate untapped energy, he turns up on WCW TV with Kevin Sullivan, and it turns out that it was Kevin Sullivan all along. He was the cosmic ultimate untapped power. So now what we've got is we've got Ultimate Warrior coming into WCW under the Dungeon of Doom uh, umbrella to wrestle against Babyface Renegade, the (laughs) knockoff diet Ultimate Warrior. So anyway, the way, and this match is just going to happen on WCW Saturday night because I'm not actually going to book the finish of the feud. This is just the kicking off point of the feud. So then... um, Ultimate Warrior, he's come in, head of steam, as a heel, and he's wrestling the Renegade, and this feels like, you know, this is going to be the next big feud, Ultimate Warrior versus Ultimate Warrior Light. But what happens um, as we're starting to get to the finish of the match, which is obviously 25 seconds in after a press slam and a splash, 
Um, Ultimate Warrior is going for the splash and Kevin Sullivan trips him up from outside the ring. He jumps in, he low blows him, and he's just stomping, stomping his testicles, puts him in the tree of woe and takes a, takes a sickle and slices him open hard way, you know, above the eye as Ultimate Warrior is hanging in the tree of woe. And uh, he takes Ultimate... This is pretty gruesome now, sorry, but I've got Nick, Nick Gage on the mind. He, he takes a handful of the Ultimate Warrior's blood that's dripping down from the tree of woe and he paints his own face like the Ultimate Warrior in the Warrior's actual blood. Um, and he says, and he kneels down on two knees and puts his arms out a little bit like Raven used to do in ECW. And he says, I am the ultimate higher power, but you are not the ultimate warrior. And anyway, Kevin Sullivan sides with the renegade um, and WCW Saturday Night TV goes off the air um, with Kevin Sullivan in the middle of the ring on, all, on his knees with his arms outstretched with the ultimate warrior's blood painted across his own face like the warrior's face paint. And anyway, I guess that leads to, you know, WCW Super Brawl 92, um, Kevin Sullivan versus Ultimate Warrior in a Chamber of Horrors match or something like that, where the Ultimate Warrior gets his babyface win. Um, and then that leads to the real feud against the Renegade. But, yeah, that's what I'm going with. I just, I just had a vision of the angle of Kevin Sullivan turning on the Ultimate Warrior and painting his own face with the Warrior's blood. That is such a cool image, man. That's yeah, strong. Yeah. That, that, the, the only thing that threw me with Dons was the uh, when he said, like, he had him in the tree of woe and got a sickle and then, like, split him hard way. I thought he, meant he actually, like, had a way to slice him, like, down. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's too far for me. It's really, all three were very, very good. Uh, boys, I in, in, enjoyed all of them. I did though say in my head before it, if anyone makes a Dingo Warrior reference, I think I've got to give it to them. So um, even though standard wise, I think it was it was very very hard to separate them. Um, I'm going to give the nod to Ross for uh, embracing the Dingo Warrior. Yes, thanks, Bram. <laughs> well played, well played, boss. Well played, Ross. I, the longer we do this podcast, the more like the more I'm realizing I'm not very good at bingo book, book a bingo. I also don't know what it's called. <laughs> bingo book. <laughs> bingo book. I'm not very good at bingo booking. <laughs> <laughs> Clickety click, 66. <laughs> we'll see you next week on Wrestling Should Be Fun. We're probably going to go home too soon. You need to book it back. <laughs> Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.